All right, we'll go ahead and start getting ready this morning. I got a lot to cover, so I'll probably dive into a lot of this. On the fun note, the great thing about teaching with someone else is I just shot Austin a text saying, hey, can you fill in today? So we can see if Austin bursts in the room. What? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But when he listens to the recording, he should appreciate that. <laughs> um, so today, uh, where we're at in our class, kind of this uh, structured overview that we've kind of laid out. Uh, we're going to be diving into seven, which is the calling. Uh, Austin just did the, his power last week. And this calling actually transitions us into two things and actually could go into the institutional portion of Exodus as well. And so we're kind of in this transition in this, what we're going to go through over today. Um, the calling that we'll be discussing today, uh, there is the personal calling and there is Moses at the bush and God calling him to uh, releases people out of Egypt and the personal interaction with Moses and God and that direct thing. But there's also the national calling. And that's actually what we're going to dive in a little bit more today is the nationalism for the Israelites. And in doing so, we're going to kind of set the stage. If you guys want, you're welcome to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18 is where we'll be. The main portion of what we'll be talking about today will be in Exodus Eight, chapters 18 through 24 in this portion of Exodus. But setting the stage um, for where we're at here in chapter uh, in Exodus 18, these guys are basically where they're at. They've uh, fled Egypt. They're out in the desert. God's providing manna and quail. And um, they're basically a a people that we got a bunch of massive people now that's been ripped out of Egypt, everything they've known. They're out in the desert and they're just kind of out there as a group of people. <laughs> and it's almost like this, uh, you know, Lord of the Flies type aspect of, okay, here we are. What do we do now? And so, you know, the responsibility, Moses brought these people out, brought these people out of Egypt. And so now the responsibility seems to be falling on Moses. And so that's kind of the setting to note here as we get to chapter 18 is that these guys, is, this has been, this is less than three months of them being out of Egypt at this point um, in chapter 18. But in going forward, um, Exodus 18, starting in 13, it came about uh, the next day. This is actually, sorry, in 13, um, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had just came to visit him. Uh, and that's Jethro's father-in-law is kind of watching and looking at um, visiting Moses. Had a nice dinner, and then the next day after they had dinner the night before, this is what is occurring. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Jethro uh, responds in verse 17, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people whom are with you. 
for the task is too heavy for you, and you cannot do it alone. Now listen to me, and I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You will be the people's representative before God, and you will bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and work, and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you should elect out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And in this structure, um, as we go forth and we start talking about the covenant and the um, how things are going to start translating in the next few chapters. Basically, what's being set up here, as I think we could recognize, is like an administrative or bureaucracy-type system that um, Jethro is proposing to Moses. There's much to for him. Obviously, it's sometimes when the identity or there's things happening and there's all these people who are trying to take control and uh, do, uh, do things and just help out where we can. And uh, basically what Jethro is proposing here to Moses is uh, basically an administrative system of dividing the work out among people. And so that kind of leads us into our first uh, group discussion a little bit here is, is bureaucracy or administration a good or a bad thing? And anyone's opinions on that? <laughs> yes? <laughs> It's a good. It's a good thing. <laughs> or bad. <laughs> I'll throw up a few things uh, uh, up here on. Uh, for the green is, in my opinion, positive or good things, but it promotes leadership within the people to take charge of their own, enabling them, manages the workload. Um, many people have access to one. There's a process in order for us to have access to one. There's one God. And so, and, and thousands of people, and then there's a process and they're able to allow many to have access to one. Go ahead, Kim. So to me, the, the key is verse 21. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It depends on the character and the integrity of the men who are chosen. I mean, any bureaucracy is still populated by people. Right. So you have to pick people who can be trusted. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, yep. The builds community. Um, and, then, and then some of the negative things on the bad side that I put is elevating process above purpose. Um, sometimes we, we tie into, if we start the, ignoring the purpose of why it was established, but we start elevating the process and making the process more important than the very things that we're purpose for, becomes a bad thing. Um, avoidance, um, using a, oh, you get lost in the shuffle, you know, we start using the bureaucratic. And that's mostly the definition, if you look up today, of bureaucracy, they kind of go towards the avoidance of, it's a process of avoidance <laughs> a little bit. Um, deflecting the workload, deflecting responsibility. Uh, 
wild goose chase, sending folks on wild goose chases and things like that, um, manipulating the system. And that goes back to what Vanna was saying about um, men of integrity who fear God, the ones that are indeed holding the process to the way it's supposed to be intended for. Um, and then that obviously all those things would discourage a community. Um, if they rip out the purpose of what you're doing things for, then obviously we would be discouraged that we're just upholding a process, not the purpose of what we're doing. So, um, and going in, uh, what we're going to dive into a little bit today is the covenant. And this is where this bulk of this class is going to be at today. And uh, going into verse 19, the uh, Moses' first ascension um, up on the Mount Sinai, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the works that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Then, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and sat before them, or set before him all these words, which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together, all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so this is the first agreement the people are verbally saying that they're going to follow what God is intended for them. And so this is even, I kind of want to emphasize this a little bit. Sometimes we get into the, um, they're in the desert, they're getting the man of the quail, the water from the rock and all that stuff. And then it seems like we jump into chapter 20, uh, which is the Ten Commandments pretty easily and God bringing the Ten Commandments. But before God even brings it or says to them the Ten Commandments, the people are already making a commitment to God before the Ten Commandments are even um, explicitly said in chapter 20. So this is the first time that people verbally have a commitment or written down in Exodus that they'll do what the Lord is, uh, is asking them to do. And so um, the next few verses, and I'm going to kind of summarize 19 a little bit. But there's a, a process here where they start consecrating themselves, washing their garments, and God's basically telling them, do not set, have the Israelites set foot on the mountain, and basically revering Mount Sinai as a holy place. And there's this reverence that's being developed in the um, chapter 19 among um, Moses, and Moses is representing, he's going to God, talking to God. Uh, God's telling them, do not let them set foot on the mountain. Moses is kind of repeating back to the people. But there's this um, back-and-forth exchange in 19 where the, the emphasis being that the people are not to set foot on the mountain, that there's this holiness that's occurring here on Mount Sinai. And then um, through that exchange, that kind of summarizes back and forth. Exodus 19, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. 
And so it came around on the third day. I think I jumped to 16 here. I might have skipped 15. Uh, so it came around on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And so I bring in this idea that this is a, what's occurring here is that we went the personal calling of Moses, but what's happening here, this is the national calling. This is the part where Moses is bringing the Israelites to the foot of the mountain to meet God. And this is not simply um, Moses kind of just going somewhere else, coming back and telling him news, but he's actually bringing the people of Israel to the foot of the mountain to God himself and um, into this uh, description. And so then now uh, Mount Sinai, continuing on in 18, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Um, so up to this point, this is kind of just emphasizing the setting of what's going on here, of the people seeing this exchange uh, between Moses and God and seeing um, pretty much what we've been referring to earlier, for one, the power of God. Um, obviously, anyone who's been in a thunderstorm, um, and Mill's probably been in over 14,000 feet, <laughs> they will bring you to your knees. <laughs> um, it's kind of, yeah. I had the opportunity one time, we were in Rifle, and we were with a group of people, and one girl's hair started standing up, like, and it was like, whoa. And then it was like, <laughs> And their hair went right down. <laughs> and it's like, okay, <laughs> we're out of here. <laughs> um, but if anyone's experienced that, uh, you'll have a direct appreciation for electricity in their environment. But, <laughs> um, but it's amazing that here, you know, God is coming to a descend upon a mountain. And, 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 and as individuals, I would think we're somewhat intelligent, maybe not all the time. But as a group of people, we seem to get dumber and dumber and dumber. <laughs> And, you know, so it's kind of like this idea here, God showing his power and having the thunder and the lightning and everything um, just focusing on people trembling before God. These are already going through consecrating themselves, holding something of reverence and holding it, revering it. And here comes the um, cloud and God and thunder and lightning exchange between Moses and um, and God, and the people witnessing this directly. And then we get into um, the, I'm going to kind of go over chapter 20 through 23, into the covenant as the fine print. We, at this exchange, um, what ends up happening is God is telling Moses the Ten Commandments. And this is chapter 20, and we can kind of go through all, thou shalt not. Um, Ten Commandments, but also what's happening here is not only the Ten Commandments, but there's actually the laws as well. And so we'll get more into laws next week, but 
Um, just kind of going over a little bit. Um, chapter 20, obviously the Ten Commandments. 21, the household laws of how you conduct your household. Personal injuries of what occurs and who's responsible. Property rights, behavior, people, um, justice. And I'm just summarizing these up, but uh, how I kind of view it. But justice, um, what is justice? Uh, land practices, national feasts, and then the promised land itself described in these in these chapters. And so what I'm going to, when I say the covenant, I'm not just going to say the Ten Commandments directly, but um, the covenants emphasize that it's more than that. He's giving them um, the Ten Commandments and the law, and here's what um, what God is basically telling, what how he expects his people to behave. And so then in chapter 24, which we'll jump to now, is basically the reaffirmment of the covenant. So Moses basically um, received all the uh, Ten Commandments and the law and everything like that. And if you jump to chapter 24, we'll be in here uh, for a little bit. And so then, now that the people have revered God, they're in front of the mountain, and Moses, uh, who did go up, oh, I'm sorry, he did go up in the mountain into the clouds some more, and received the Ten Commandments and all the law, and he comes back um, down. And the people, again, have the decision on what to do. And so then in chapter 20, Exodus 24, then Moses came and recounted to all the people the words of the Lord and all of the ordinances. And the people answered him with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. So the second affirmation, we had the first one in chapter 19. All the words the Lord will say, we will do. Here we go again. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. And they reaffirm themselves after the fine print has been um, established. Oh, um, and so uh, we'll kind of go through this. And so then we have basically, okay, let's write it down. So everything else was recounted. It was discussed about. And sometimes I want to kind of give a little side of that. We think of the Ten Commandments um, coming in chapter 20, but they really aren't. They're just described. God's telling Moses, here's what I expect of the people. Here's all the laws. And so then in 24, when the people agree upon, yes, we will do all everything the Lord has said. Now in chapter 24, Moses is writing them down. So in Moses' picture, Moses writes down the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with the 12 pillars and for the 12, pillar, for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men from the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And then... Uh, but I'm just kind of as counting of the people's signature. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So the third, here's the third time the people are affirming that whatever the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant 
which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. And then in a little uh, later, then we actually have the um, chapter 12. Then now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment for which I have written for their instruction. So it's just kind of interesting to me in this aspect aspect of God's power. The people are always making verbal commitments. Moses writes it down on paper, and then God's like writes it on stone. <laughs> you know, it kind of shows a progression of, you know, as we have people, the people as a whole, we seem to fall away and we get distracted very easily. And it seems as we get to Moses, he writes it on paper. He kind of is trying to stay focused on what we got to do. Um, and then an emphasis of God, I'm going to replace that paper with stone. And I'm going to put these down on stone so they last longer for us to remember. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful on the aspect of God taking people that were in slavery, bringing them to a new place, and then sometimes you know we like to say change. That seems to be a thing in our society. Like oh, we're going to change this. We're going to change, 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 change. But what's amazing here is there's change. <laughs> you know, they're no longer slaves in Egypt, and now they're in the desert. And anyone who goes through that process of Changing something about it's scary. Change is ultimately scary because you don't know what's on the other side. You don't know what is going to happen. And that's the most beautiful thing that's happening in the book of Exodus, which, by the way, this structure of what's happening in Exodus sets the entire rest of our identity in the Bible of what is occurring here. But we basically come from lives of sin, we make a covenant, and now God is fulfilling a promise. And it's that promise. That is the beautiful part of what is the structure of occurring here. As the Israelites have now been in the desert, everyone's whining. Why'd you bring us out here to die? All this stuff. And then what is there and what God is calling for us is he's saying, I am here. I am here to comfort you. I am here to give you life. And that's the signature of what God's saying to these people here. Um. So I guess we kind of lead into it. <laughs> this guy might be an interesting discussion, but um, in what ways is the covenant critical? And that can be on a personal level, that can be on a biblical structure level, that can be, I mean, right now, really in Exodus, we're talking about the Israelites too. And what aspects are there different things that is what's critical here, what's happening for the nation of Israel. Are you talking about the covenant itself? The covenant itself, just um, from the ten, uh, yep, ten Commandments to the ordinances of 
the people saying, we'll do whatever God says, and then the Ten Commandments, the ordinances. Yeah, and I'll be your guide. If you took the covenant away, what would it, what would life be like if we had did not have it? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So they should know and exactly right with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you're talking about it, the, you know, the thing that really came to my mind was what we call it today, it seems like the debate of absolute, absolute truth and relative truth. And that's the heart of what is really being debated here when, we, when this debate comes up. Is there absolute truth or is everything relative? And so this covenant... Being an absolute, this is what God has commanded us to do, and that people tend to be like, "Did God really say that?" You know, and they start, we start getting into this relative, uh, trying to take down what is an absolute covenant, and then making that covenant more relative. And obviously, if the covenant was never there, everything can be more relative, which thing leads in the chaos and everything like that. Um. I'll throw up a couple of things to get some thoughts going a little bit. Um, one of the things in our book that Austin and I are reading, uh, this is interesting, is building the identity on commitment. Um, one of the things a lot of nations are built upon generally are where you live. <laughs> You're all here in the same place or in the same geography. We speak the same language, so we have a commonality of talking together. Um, or, you know... Um, just our, our history is at this one point. You know, the what's interesting here is that the Israelites have been removed geograph- from a geographical location. Now they're just a bunch of people wandering in the desert, and this idea that they are now building a nation on on commitment—it's that they're going to commit to what God has spoken. They're going to commit themselves, and now that's what they're building their identity on is this commitment, whether they're in the desert or they're in the, some beautiful promised land or everything like that. They're building their identity based on a commitment with God. Um, one of the other aspects, too, is we uh, kind of read in 19, too, is uh, um, God describing to these people, you're our holy nation. Um, and the idea of that is building purpose. Anyone can interject me to you. This is group discussion, by the way. So if you have a thought, <laughs> feel free to interject me. But one um, of the idea, uh, obviously, is building building purpose. Um, these people are to be holy priests into the world. Um, worlds. I'm, that's sorry. That's ten thirty. <laughs> Typing on that. Um, but. The sense of purpose, the sense of why are we doing what we're doing here? And, you know, we, we kind of need that structure. We need that guidance to understand what we're doing. And so as these individuals have themselves been ripped out and they're wandering in the desert, this covenant itself now is bringing identity and bringing purpose um, to these people. Because also in 19... Uh, uh, 
I don't know if I want to go all the way back through all the slides, but um, God is referring to that he created the entire earth in chapter 19. So God isn't just saying, I created only Israel. God's this, I'm, I'm the creator of the creation. And so what he's setting here is that these are my chosen people. These are my people to be the priest into the world to preach into all creation. And so um, these folks have that central idea um, of holding a, uh, revering something precious to share with the world. Uh, It affirms their place in the universe, which I was describing. And then uh, the other thing, too, is it it defines a responsibility. Um, In a covenant or agreement, there's two parties. And so in this party, there's God is one of the parties, and the nation of Israel is one of the parties. And so when things go awry and things aren't going well, there's either in the covenant starts to fail, the responsibility falls upon the two parties. So the party... It could be that um, the responsibility falls on God or the responsibility falls on the people. However, when you look at the reverence and everything that they were doing at Mount Sinai and revering who God is and his almighty power, that's the first and most thing, the first commandment, have no other gods before me. And the absolute of who God is, um, and he is the creator of the creation, is that God isn't at fault. And so what happens is holding that side of the covenant of God being absolute, the responsibility for an Israelite is if things go wrong, I, they screw, the responsibility falls back to they screwed up somewhere. And so we could go into um, Hosea and um, Jeremiah and all this, and then people um, basically um, prostituting themselves to foreign gods and different ways the Israelites fall apart. I don't want to get too much into Austin's class in a couple of weeks, but <laughs> the rebellionists of, of people in general, um, you know, the, the it's kind of interesting here that the central portion of the covenant is establishing this role of responsibility between God and his people. You know, a lot of times before people are, um, you know, Noah is a righteous man. He, God sees how good he is, and he sets a covenant with him, and we, he survives the flood, and then Father Abraham building the altar, his sons, and kind of go through the patriarchal Genesis. And then now, with Moses, he's shifting this, the patriarchal um, portion of Genesis now into Exodus, which is now building a nation. And so in identifying all these people in the nation of committing themselves to God, this responsibility that they have a firmness. So what we just read three times is that God said, here's, here's what I want for the people. I brought them out. These are my holy people. What did the people do three times? They said, whatever the Lord says, we will do. And then they said it again. Um, after Moses returned from Sinai, whatever the Lord says, we will do. And then after it's written down in the book of covenant by Moses, they say it a third time. Whatever the Lord says, we will do. And so the people themselves have now made a commitment to God. And so this idea of the covenant becomes critical to Jews uh, today and for the development of everything that is occurring that 
they are now identifying themselves and committing that they will do what God says. And so the responsibility of sin does not fall on God, but it falls on man and for what we've uh, committed to God. Prior to this, the fall of man and Adam and the garden and everything of eating the other fruit, that's what's occurring here. But now what's happening in Exodus is now we're shifting this, okay, you know, thou shall not eat, th- eat from the tree of good and evil, or the tree of knowledge, uh, good and evil, and uh, um, man falls and eats the fruit. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what's been led up to this point. Now to this point, going forward, we've made a verbal commitment. The nation of Israel has made a verbal commitment to saying that we will follow who God is. And so the um, so for people, now notice they've only been out in the desert for three months. And so we have these people that have are just kind of lost a little bit. They're lost in what are we doing out here? What is happening here? And so as they've gone through the change, they're making that change over. Now they're making the commitment to who... Um, of who they're gonna, uh, who they're gonna follow, and who their a community is built around, and the community is, you know, built around the Lord and what He has wanted for His people. They're going through an intimate journey together, and this journey is where the Lord is um, giving them. Here's what I want you for your life. So, um, translating this, we do a lot in this class, obviously with. Exodus and a lot of things that we're talking here are very easy for us to uh, translate to um, as Christians. Um, but what I want to kind of get into a little bit on this next discussion is uh, a holy passage as us. And what I'm looking into here is basically the points of which things seem to pass from an old to a new. And obviously in the Ark of the Covenant, uh, or sorry, not Ark of Covenant, Noah's Ark, um, and uh, passing through the water, Mo- Moses, we talked about, obviously, in this class, um, in the Nile, and then Moses um, splitting the Red Sea and passage through water there, and then the crossing of the Ark of the Covenant over the Jordan River, and then John the Baptist baptizing in the Jordan River, Itself, and then Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, and descending upon him like a dove. And I was telling my wife last night, like, it's interesting how this all ties together because Noah's on the ark, he sends a dove out to get the olive branch. And now we see that again when Jesus is baptized and the, the Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Um, and so the baptism of consecrating ourselves. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses. A lot of these are everyone here is going to be very familiar with, obviously. Um, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Um, And then in our covenant from the Old Testament, you shall have no other gods before me, the first commandment. 
Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19. And then repeated, Jesus says in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come to abol- I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Jesus answered, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then, and then the calling in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you shall declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, Before I go into the next one, Um, again, the identity uh, that's occurring here, obviously in the Old Testament, we refer to the Egyptians. It seems like you got the Egypt as the, their, their form of the Roman government. Later we have the Roman Empire in the New Testament. But it seems like this idea of a, um, I'm going to, yeah, real quick. Um, idea that whatever forms of government, whatever forms of whatever that we are in a, in, a, in a worldly culture in, God is calling us. And so calling us to, as, as people, as Christians, as a church, to not fall into the worldly ways, but to revere, um, revere God and to um, choose to follow him. I guess kind of just throwing out as a quick question on that. In this idea of being in the wilderness and um, reverence and revering who God is, what, as, as our culture today, if I'm trying to say Metal Arch Church Christ in Fort Collins, Colorado, you know, what are the difficulties that you guys run into in, in people today? Like if you're outside this room and outside this building, um, do, do, are people, do people, do you feel people respect, oh, you revere something, or do people disrespect it? Does that make sense? Respect Christianity or respect? Um, I guess my question a little bit is, in rever- re- having reverence for something, do people view that as a good thing or, or bad thing? Mm-hmm. People are being
Right. It's interesting to me how that falls back a little bit into we were describing in 18 the administrative process being set and a lot of times we we do things for certain reasons we do things in certain steps and we forget why we're doing it and so then all of a sudden as people when we forget the why of what we're doing things for we tend to say well this, this process is just hurting me it's just burning me down so we start attacking the process on the what's been laid out. And so, you know, I think I see that a lot in our culture today because of, I mean, even the definition of bureaucracy or, you know, people are just kind of like, oh, it's a process that, you know, to avoid <laughs> um, giving an answer or to things like that. Go ahead, Vanna. One thought that keeps coming to my mind is that God Mm-hmm. He brought them out of there into a place where they were isolated. Mm-hmm. Jesus took himself apart from the crowd from time to time. Mm-hmm. He came to pray. Mm-hmm. He had retreats from time to time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're dating. You're dating. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just need to clear your head sometimes, just to have a, I guess, a different perspective of what the, the people are. Right. Right. 
Right. <laughs> All right. Right. As long as I live, right. I will keep reminding you. Right. And he's talking about the basics. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it was. It's interesting to say that about the basics because I feel a little bit of this is the basics. <laughs> this presentation, and yet it's something that we don't uh, we don't teach enough. We don't get into what are the basics on so that we all have a common understanding as a church of metal arc, how do we identify a identity ourselves when we, sometimes we're not even sure of the basics sometimes on who we are and how we need to return to that so that we have a foundation together. Um, yeah, kind of going into wrap-up class a little bit with his personal calling, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, he's given a very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to good knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. For you possess these qualities in increasing measure, and they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I write, I write this up here on where do I sign, because I see we went through the baptism, and we went through committing ourselves verbally, saying we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, follow him, uh, baptized into his name. And then further than that, also we signed by remembering who we were and where we came from. And I kind of like this little thing. I wanted to put this up. But uh, I know a good dad when I see one. <laughs> and uh, a little bit of the idea. So I don't know if you know what's going on here. Is the little boy like superheroes. So he's got a little superhero co- costume. So the dad puts a blanket around his neck and he walks to the super store, supermarket. <laughs> It's not me. <laughs> no, I haven't. No. Luckily, my son hasn't got into that, so we're good. But, but I write this up here because one of the things we talked about in the class, in that class a little bit, is we talk about testimonies. And we talk about, you know, it, it, it's always good to write our name on the signature line. It's good. Moses wrote these things down. It's good for us to remember but as we have committed ourselves to who God is, it's our testimony. So it's our testimony on who we are that test is where we sign. So our signature of committing to God is how we live our life, how we um, point people to God. It, it's, not, it's not something that's just going to be a one-time dunk yourself and buried in baptism and raised with Jesus Christ. It's something that we continually do from that moment forward in following what the covenant and doing, as the Israelites said, we will do whatever the Lord says we will do. That is what we're getting to in this class of who the what the covenant is and what we are to do. And yes, these may be basic, but sometimes we need to return to basics um, every once in a while to show what is God have for us. Because sometimes we want to know, well, why doesn't God just tell us what he wants? Well, 
he did. <laughs> you know, he said, here's what I have for the people of Israel. And we start putting these, um, what we'll get into next week, laws, and we'll talk about those. But getting those to pierce our heart and love God with all our um, uh, strength, oh, sorry, um, strength, um, soul, and mind. And then um, that transcendence of our heart is what permeates everything else we do around us. So um, we need to wrap up. Uh, Chad, can I pick on you real quick to close us out in prayer? Thanks.